Shalom, and thank you for listening at BethEmmanuel.org. Beth Emanuel is committed to proclaiming the vital gospel message of the coming kingdom of heaven. If you share our passion for this message, please support this teaching ministry and Messianic community with your prayers and financial contributions. To learn how, click the Donate tab at BethEmmanuel.org. Let's read Ephesians. Paul, an apostle of the Messiah, Yeshua, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in the Messiah, Yeshua. Ephesians 1.1 We reckon Ephesians to be among Paul's so-called prison letters, a series of communications he sent out from Rome during his first imprisonment there. He addresses it to the saints who are in Ephesus, that is, a large community of Gentile disciples spread across several assemblies that met in houses and synagogues in the large city of Ephesus. From the stories in the book of Acts, we know more about Paul's work in Ephesus and the believers in Ephesus than almost any other city. Even if he were not in chains, Paul himself cannot visit Ephesus. He became a persona non grata, during the Ephesian riots, great as Diana of the Ephesians. He bade the elders of Ephesus farewell on his way to Jerusalem prior to his arrest, but he did so at Miletus because he could not return to Ephesus. Other Jews who once labored for the gospel in Ephesus are also absent. Apollos, who used to teach there, has moved on. Priscilla and Aquila, who for some time lived in Ephesus and hosted a community of disciples in their home, have also returned to Rome. Paul's disciple Timothy continues to steward over the disciples of Ephesus in Paul's absence. And around this time, John the Apostle also is making his way toward Asia Minor and will soon be in residence in Ephesus. All of these teachers that I have just mentioned were Jews. But most of the disciples in Ephesus are Gentiles. The letter to the Ephesians is addressed specifically to the Gentile disciples in the communities, the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in the Messiah, Yeshua. The word saints means holy ones. Paul considered them set apart from the rest of humanity because of their allegiance to the Messiah Yeshua. To be faithful in Christ Jesus, faithful in the Messiah Yeshua, means to be loyal to Yeshua in the belief that he is the Messiah King and to live under his authority and rule, obeying his commandments, heeding his words. That's what it means to be faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Master, Yeshua, the Messiah. Ephesians 1-2 The Apostle sends salutations in the form of a blessing that the disciples in Ephesus should enjoy God's abundant favor, his grace, and blessing of peace dispatched from God. Paul refers to God as our Father, according to Yeshua's own instructions. The favor of God that the apostle wishes upon these disciples is that same favor which was obtained through the Master Yeshua, the Messiah, 
God's favored son who obtained such abundant favor through his righteousness and his suffering that it is of sufficient quantity to share with his disciples. Likewise, the apostle bestows a blessing for peace by the same means and in the same authority, namely, through the authority of the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. After the salutation, Paul opens the epistle with a bracha formula, according to the traditional liturgical pattern for a blessing. Blessed be God who has done such and such. In this case, God is titled the God and Father of our Master Yeshua the Messiah. Of all God's many titles, this one is the most precious to us as disciples of Yeshua. Ordinarily, a bracha refers to God as king of the universe, which is, of course, a universal truth which applies to everyone and everything and expresses everyone's relationship to God. But this is a much more personal title which applies only to our master Yeshua and to those of us who are privileged to know God through relation to him. He is not just the creator of heaven and earth and the king of the universe. He is the God and Father of our Master, Yeshua. As the epistle continues, however, it now becomes critically important to pay attention to the pronouns. Paul says that God has blessed us in Messiah with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places and that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Who is we? Who is us? Most readers assume that the first-person common plural forms here refer to all Christians, as if Paul is speaking generally about what God has done for every disciple of Yeshua. But it becomes evident, just a few verses later, that he is differentiating himself and those included with him in this designation from the Ephesian disciples, who he refers to in the second-person pronoun as you. That begins in 113 when he says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, believed in him. So, it is evident that Paul is distinguishing between two different groups. Those he refers to as we and those he refers to as you. This distinction is critically important to understanding the entire epistle to the Ephesians. And you might say, to understanding all of the writings of Paul. The distinction Paul is making is between Jewish disciples and Gentile disciples. Paul speaks of the Jewish disciples, including the apostolic community, the apostles, and all the Jewish believers in Yeshua as we. And he speaks to the Gentile disciples as you. Scholars have long observed that the epistle to the Ephesians does not necessarily address any specifically local issues. Instead, it conveys a theological message 
which could apply to any of Paul's assemblies in any of the places that he had been active teaching. For that reason, scholars speculate that this may have been a generic letter that Paul composed to be read not just in Ephesus, but also in other assemblies in Asia Minor, as Tychius delivered the mail. It neatly summarizes Paul's theology of distinction and the place of the Gentile disciple in the kingdom. At least in these opening chapters, the pronouns are deliberately distinguishing between Jewish disciples of Yeshua and the Gentile disciples. Paul speaks as a member of the Jewish community of disciples. Specifically, he speaks as an apostle. The Jewish disciples of Yeshua charged with the responsibility of testifying to the resurrection of Yeshua and transmitting his teaching. But in a broader sense, he also speaks on behalf of all the Jewish people, because, as we know from Paul's theology, he considers the Jewish disciples of Yeshua merely to be the leaven that leavens the whole lump, and to be the holy root which sanctifies the whole tree. According to Paul's theology, it's only a matter of time until the rest of the Jewish people join him and the Jewish disciples in their convictions about Yeshua. So, in that sense, he and the apostles speak on behalf of the whole nation of Israel in juxtaposition to the identity of the Gentile disciples. In any case, he makes a series of claims on behalf of the Jewish disciples of Yeshua, which, in his broader theology, ultimately extends out to the nation. Here are the first three claims he makes about Israel. 1. He has blessed the Jewish people in Messiah with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. 2. He has chosen the Jewish people from before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. 3. In love, he has predestined the Jewish people for adoption to himself as sons through Yeshua the Messiah. Now, we might argue that these three sweeping statements do not apply to all Jews or to all Israel, but apply only to Jewish believers. Surely, it is the Jewish disciples of Yeshua who are blessed with every spiritual blessing, chosen before the foundation of the world, and predestined for adoption as sons through Yeshua. At the same time, all three statements apply to all Israel even if the more specific messianic value rests upon the early adopters, namely the apostles and Jewish disciples. 1. The spiritual blessings are the blessings God promises Israel in the Torah. As of yet, they have not yet been fully realized in this world as material blessings because the redemption has not yet come. But Paul maintains that they are already spiritually realized in Messiah in heavenly places. 2. The Jewish people are called the chosen people because God chose them from all nations. Jewish theology teaches that before creating the heavens and the earth, God chose Abraham and he chose them to be holy, which means to be sanctified. As it says in the Kiddush, he has chosen us and sanctified us and he chose them to be blameless through the forgiveness of sins. As it says, their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. Jeremiah 31, 34. 3. The Jewish people were predestined for adoption through Yeshua. 
That's the whole reason the Messiah was sent to Israel. As Yeshua says, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And as Peter says, the promise is for you and for your children, Acts 2.39. This is why the Jewish people are called sons. God says, out of Egypt I called my son and say to Pharaoh, Israel is my firstborn son. Let my son go that he may serve me, Exodus 4, 22 and 23. And for he avenges the blood of his children, Deuteronomy 32, 43. In other words, Paul is saying that all this good stuff belongs to Israel, to the Jewish people, and not to the Gentiles. He has blessed us in the beloved, that is, blessed Israel in the merit of the Messiah. Israel receives the blessings. Israel is selected from before the foundation of the world to be the chosen people. Israel is predestined to be adopted as sons of God. Paul doesn't ordinarily engage in this type of thing, but he is rhetorically flaunting his privileged position in Messiah as a Jew, as a Jewish disciple, and as an apostle. And he's just getting started. There's more. What else do the Jewish people get? How about the redemption? In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Ephesians 1, 7 and 8. Yes, obviously we are speaking of the Jewish disciples, but the promise stands for all Israel. This word, redemption, refers to both a personal spiritual redemption and ultimately to the national redemption when the Messiah comes again. And who is it that the Messiah comes to redeem? He comes to redeem Israel. How will he redeem Israel? By the merit of his suffering, which accrued sufficient grace and favor from God to suffice for the forgiveness of Israel's sins and trespasses, bringing an end to all punishments, including the exile and subjugation to foreign powers. The blood of the Messiah is the life of the Messiah, which he laid down on behalf of the nation to die on a Roman cross, that he might purchase the redemption through the forgiveness of sins. This is why Peter was able to say to his countrymen, the Jewish people, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Yeshua the Messiah, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children. Acts 2.38 and 39. Paul says that the death of the Messiah obtained so much extra favor with God that there is sufficient quantity to lavish it upon Israel, the riches of his grace. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in the Messiah as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. To whom has God made known the mystery of his will? Notice that here in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Paul mentions the trifecta of chokmah, bina, and da'at, wisdom, insight, and knowledge. 
Through wisdom, insight, and knowledge, the three spheres in which God's Spirit intersects human consciousness, God has revealed His mysterious will to Israel according to His purpose which He set forth in Messiah as a plan for the fullness of time. This plan has been in the works since the beginning, and it's a universal plan to unite all things in Messiah, things in heaven and things on earth. That is to say, the ultimate consummation of the unity of all things in God. Everything is connected, and it's all going to be united into one thing through the work of the Messiah. And this has been the plan since the very beginning of creation, since before creation. But to whom has this plan been revealed in wisdom, insight, and knowledge? To the Jewish people through the Spirit of God in Chokmah, Bina, and Da'at, and the power of the prophetic word, which is the Torah and the scriptures of Israel, which all pointed forward to the plan for this fullness of time. This plan was revealed to Israel, to the Jewish people. Paul and the apostles and the Jewish disciples of Yeshua, as representatives of Israel, have become the stewards of that revelation. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in the Messiah might be to the praise of his glory. Ephesians 1, 11 and 12. Paul says that in the Messiah, we, the Jewish people, have obtained an inheritance. What is the inheritance? It's the covenantal promises that God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These are the promises that came through the Torah and were amplified by the prophets, the blessings and promises of Abraham, the land, the redemption, the kingdom, and even eternal life. This is the inheritance passed down from the fathers to the sons. Paul says that this inheritance was predestined according to the will and purpose of God to come through the Messiah, so that we who were the first to hope in the Messiah might be to the praise of his glory. Who was the first to hope in the Messiah? Israel, the Jewish people, specifically the Jewish disciples and the apostles. These Messianic Jews, the Jewish disciples, were the first to hope in the Messiah so that they as representatives of Israel, might be to the praise of his glory. That is to say, that they might validate Messiah's identity, vouching on his behalf. So ends the long introduction of what it means to be a Jewish disciple and, ultimately, to be Jewish. It's a flaunting of Jewish privilege. Now Paul turns to his readers the Gentile disciples in Ephesus and everywhere. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. What is the word of truth that the Gentile disciples heard? It is the gospel of their salvation, 
the good news of how they too stand to be rescued by Yeshua. And when they heard this good news, they believed in him, which is to say, they transferred their allegiance to him, to accept him as king and lord, and to place their hope in him, in trust and obedience. What happened then? Then they received the promised Holy Spirit, a down payment and a deposit on the future messianic era, when it says that God's Spirit will be poured out on all flesh, not just upon Israel, not just upon the Jewish people, but upon all flesh. That's a promise of the kingdom that applies to all nations. The Gentile disciples of Yeshua are the first fruit of that future universal era of spiritual enlightenment, and this they share with the Jewish disciples. Both the Gentile disciples and the Jewish disciples of Yeshua have received the same Holy Spirit, have been sealed with the same Spirit. Paul says that the receiving of this Spirit by both Jews and Gentiles is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That's an inheritance to be shared by both Jews and Gentiles, one that we do not yet have possession of. That is, the complete revelation of the future kingdom on earth. But we have both received a token of it, a pledge and a down payment in the form of the Holy Spirit to the praise of his glory, which is to say, to validate Messiah's identity and vouch on his behalf. The Jewish disciples first received this pledge at the time of the outpouring of the Spirit in Acts 2 on the day of Shavuot in the temple. The Gentile disciples first received this pledge at the time of the outpouring of the Spirit in Acts 8 in Samaria and in Acts 10 in the home of Cornelius the centurion. Since then, the Spirit has been poured out continuously on the disciples of Yeshua. For this reason, because I heard of your faith in the Lord. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Master Yeshua and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Master Yeshua the Messiah, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Ephesians 1, 15 through 18. The Gentile disciples express their allegiance to Yeshua through their love toward all the saints. Paul's prayer for Gentile disciples is one of gratitude. I do not cease to give thanks for you. But he also asks God to open the eyes of their hearts. He asks him to, through the Spirit of God, bestow an additional measure of wisdom, revelation, and knowledge, chokmah, bina, and da'at, upon the Gentile disciples, so that the eyes of their hearts will be enlightened. Eyes of your hearts is just an idiom for insight and understanding. The heart is the mind. This implies that there is something the Gentile disciples are not understanding, something they are failing to see, and Paul wants them to see it, 
So he's asking God to open their eyes so they can see it. What is it that they are failing to see and understand? That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? according to the working of his great might that he worked in the Messiah when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things, To the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Ephesians 1 13 through 23. That's what you're missing. That's the thing you're failing to see. Three things, actually. One, the hope to which he has called you. Two, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And three, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward all of us, Jews and Gentiles, all of us who believe. Paul is concerned for the Gentile disciples that, despite their faith in Messiah, despite their love for all the saints, and their good works, and their devout loyalty to Yeshua, they are missing some big pieces of the picture, namely these three things. So maybe we should all be asking ourselves, have I got these three things down? Am I seeing these three things clearly? One, the hope to which he has called me. Two, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Three, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us. I'm not going to try to unpack these things today. In fact, It takes Paul the rest of the book of of Ephesians to unpack these things. We can work on it as we keep reading Ephesians. But for now, I will close by asking God that he open the eyes of our hearts with a generous outpouring of his Spirit upon each of us in wisdom, insight, and knowledge, so that we might see and understand the working of his great might, that he worked in Messiah when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Take on my yoke and learn from me and find rest for your soul. 